This is the third time today I've tried to record this podcast, and it just seems like it's one of those days. Uh, A lawnmower has decided to start up right outside my window, but I am determined to try. This is Dr. Chuck McGathy from First Baptist Church of Madison, North Carolina, trying very much to get the podcast out this week. It's been a crazy week. Uh, A lot of things have been going on. There have been uh, people who I've loved to have died, and a move is going on, and at the present time, my mother has been hospitalized, so I'm doing my very best to uh, communicate to you because I love you, and I care about you, and I would like for you to know that God is with us no matter what uh, we are going through. I am uh, this Sunday, uh, along with many other people, celebrating Father's Day, and I wish all a happy Father's Day. And the second Sunday after Pentecost is the official day on the church calendar. I'd like to remind everyone you find out more about our church by going to our website at www.firstbaptistchurchofmadison.weebly.com. So hope you'll go and check us out. Title of today's message is Where Is Your God? The 22nd Psalm is one of the readings for today. Before I read the selected Psalm, I want us to think for just a moment about the importance of that Psalm. Uh, that uh, it was to that Psalm that Jesus turned in his great agony when he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How interesting that at that very center, that at the very center of our faith, of our religion, is the question, where is God? You've heard it expressed in the 42nd Psalm. Now listen to it again in the 43rd Psalm. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people for those who are deceitful and unjust deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a harp, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. How do you know you have the right religion? I've been asked that, and it always causes me to think. I think of the multiple evidences for the truth of our faith. I recall all of the different apologetic lectures I have heard, and some I've even given, all of which were designed to assure the thoughtful individual and honest intellectual that belief in the propositions of Christianity are both reasonable and in no contradiction with common sense or scientific understanding of nature. I just about opened my mouth to answer that one day when it dawned upon me that perhaps this was not what my questioner wanted to know after all. There is actually a better answer than all the things I was about to say. That answer fills the Bible and is certainly present in the scripture. The reading for today is found in Psalm 22 verses 23 through 31. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. Stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. 
For he did not despise or abhor the affliction of the afflicted. He did not hide his face from me, but heard when I cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will pay before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. To him indeed shall all who sleep in the earth bow down. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, and I shall live for him. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about him. And proclaim his deliverance to a people yet unborn, saying that he has done it. Some years ago, a documentary film called Religious Debate debuted in theaters. Comedian and political commentator and occasional philosopher Bill Maher has found a niche audience who will join him in his pet peeve. Maher stated in an interview with Larry King that he hopes religious will become the passion of the Christ for the 16% of Americans who are non-religious. That figure, by the way, is even more now. Indeed, Maher not only embraces atheism, but urges others to reject religion and, in his words, grow up. While I have not yet seen his cinematic offering, I am well familiar with Mars' thinking about religion in general and Christianity in particular. Todd Thompson, writing for Christian Ethics Today, reviewed the film and notes the film is limited strictly to his preconceptions. In his quest to understand Christianity, Mar doesn't seek out a single respected theologian to answer his questions, but then he adds a word of balance when he writes. But we must criticize ourselves as well. We as much as we might like to, we cannot blame Marv for the characters of religion portrayed in the film. The sad truth is that, by and large, religious people have constructed Marv's myopic image of faith for him. More than 25 years of vocal religious activity centered on narrow ideological agendas, partisan political activism, and the merchandising of orthodoxy has come to define the broader public perception of what faith is. Perhaps by now you're wondering how, asking the questions, which religion is right or if any religion is right and how can you know is related to the song? If that is on your mind, then I commend you. You see, the two are related, so don't mentally check out, but stay with me for just a moment or two and see if you can notice the relationship as well. As part of our heritage and tradition, we have tended to live our religious faith as a top-down experience. Our minds need convincing for our emotions to respond, and then, if that happens, our feet begin to move. If you think about it, you will recognize it is the way we do much of our business, including church. But is that how God wants us to follow Him? I think God has something better for the members of His church. I think He desires a love relationship, not a business contract. Let me show you what I mean. Look again at the words and phrases of Psalm 22. It describes a God who is personally seeking you and me. Listen, God is described as feeling the affliction of the afflicted. He does not hide his face from you and me, but hears us when we cry to him. Does that sound like a contract to you? Does that sound like a cold intellectual exercise or the passion of a lover pursuing the object of his affection? The truth, you see, is more than an intellectual attainment. It is that, but it is not only that. 
When Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free, he meant something greater than mental satisfaction. He meant soul satisfaction. But when we fail to feel our faith, when we fail to allow it to flow through us, we are left with nothing more than a philosophical debate. Real faith acts with all its strength and its entire mind. It moves in unison toward a God-given mission. German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche put it well when he asked, If the Messiah has come, where are his people? Instead of the truth of our faith being evidenced through our lives, haven't we too often relied on battling the forces of darkness with persuasion? But the greatest persuasion is our love for others. When others see Christ in us, then they are less prone to wonder about his existence. Our caring and giving hearts that love others by faith into faith is the greatest proof that Jesus lives. One reason that fundamentalist religion expresses itself with such anger is that it is basically insecure. It has an insatiable appetite that can never be satisfied. It wants to be full and peaceful, but thinks it cannot until all doubts and doubters are defeated. That is one of the reasons why it does things like spend $27 million to build museums that tell its version of earth science. Yet, for all the arguing and aggression, that kind of religion cannot calm the nagging voice that whispers, you do not know me. You are wrong. You are a sinner. Do you want relief from doubt? then get to work for the kingdom. Don't be afraid to think. Don't be afraid to question, but always realize there is something more. Embrace the words of the poet, Rudyard Kipling, who pondered, if you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim. And of Martin Luther King Jr. who noted, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? And a Virgil Golker who says that you can always find God at the intersection between a caring Christian and someone in need. How can you know the truth? How can you know God? How can you know you have the right religion? How can you answer where is your God? The Bible answer is simple. Pure religion undefiled before God is the Father and the Father is this to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So how do you answer, where is God? For that answer, let's look back on what the psalmist says. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before him. There it is again. Real religion, the right religion, the true religion is inextricably connected to not only what we think, but what we do and who we are. Care for the ones around us in need is not a nice item somewhere on the Christian's to-do list. It is the list. It is the reason we need you to become a member of this church. It is the reason we need our members, every single one of us, to be on mission together for Christ in this community. Someone might even complain, but you expect so much from the members of this church. You bet I do, because Christ does. 
And I'm asking each and every one of you to find the place where you will find God at the intersection between yourself and someone else's need. So I'm asking that you join us. And if you're already a member, I'm asking that you seek a new vision of what God can do through you. As you go in obedience, more than all the words you could ever utter, your very life will tell the truth that Jesus lives. In the words of the old hymn, He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. The story has been told before. A famous speaker had come to a town to disabuse the locals of their primitive belief in God. He made great arguments and his persuasion, though one-sided, was lucid and powerful. Finally, he concluded his lecture by issuing the challenge for any who could offer proof of God's existence to stand up and do so. No one stood. Then from the back of the room arose one elderly man. He was the custodian of the lecture hall. Everyone turned to see what he would say. He opened his mouth, sir, I don't know that I can prove God to you, but I do know that he spoke to me just this morning. Has God spoken to you this morning? Do you want to hear from him? Then obey him. Obey him in baptism, in service, in love for his children. Then you will know that you've got it right. That is pure religion, and that is Christ's invitation to you this morning. Let us pray. Lord, give us hearts to follow you. Convince us through our entire being of your presence as we see you through our ministry to others, through the eyes of a child who feels God's love for the first time, through care for a dying friend, through feeding the poor and clothing the naked, and through caring for those lonely and afraid. We will know the truth that makes us free. In his name we pray. Amen.